After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Before we get to today's edition of the Five Reasons Podcast, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in the Five Reasons Network, and that is the International Champions Cup. It is upon us. A day of recording, a day of posting. The International Champions Cup is beginning today on a Thursday with the women's tournament. We'll have two days worth of women's action between Paris Saint-Germain, Olympic Lyon, Manchester City, and North Carolina Courage of NWSL right here in the United States. They'll be playing matches at 6.15 at 9 p.m. at Hard Rock Stadium on both Thursday and Sunday. And then you have men's matches. Four of the biggest clubs in the world will be here in South Florida on July 28th, which is this Saturday. Manchester City are taking on Bayern Munich. That is the English champions against the German champions in Bayern coming to Miami. And then the following week on the Tuesday, July 31st, Real Madrid are taking on Manchester United. A massive game. You're going to want to get your tickets. Internationalchampionscup.com or at Ticketmaster. These are huge games coming for preseason preparations for these two teams. We've seen them across the country already, and they'll be finishing their tours of the United States right here in Miami. So get your tickets, International Champions Cup, Dot com or you go to Ticketmaster. But right now, let's get to our podcast with C.K. Parrott, a.k.a. Chris Call. Welcome in to this edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, normally joined by Ethan Skolnick, but he is at Disney World in July, which does not sound like a very fun place from my vantage point, but obviously anytime you can take your children to go and experience the magical world of Disney, you take that opportunity. So I imagine he's having a great time, but not with us tonight. So we turn to another of the podcasts in our network to talk some NFL. We yesterday on the podcast had Omar Kelly and Chris Perkins on to run through uh, the first of our major Dolphins talking points. And so we kind of wanted to take a, a broader look league wide and we turned to one of the co-hosts of our Dolphins podcast, Three Yards Per Carry, which is obviously uh, carrying on previewing training camp, previewing this Dolphin season. We wanted to look at the uh, a league-wide perspective. We're joined by Chris Kaufman, a.k.a. C.K. Parrott, on Twitter. C.K., appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Glad I could uh, replace Ethan. Would you uh, Would you go to Disney World in July? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that's insane. But uh, I have been there several times with – I have a daughter about as old as uh as ethan's daughter and um and she loves disney so we've been there we you know really only an hour away we so we've been there probably three times with her four times something like that in her very young life and obviously uh jealous of her because i didn't go there that many times <laughs> All right, so the, obviously Ethan can't be here for the pod today because he's uh, in Disney World, so we hope he's having a great time. But we do want to talk about five major storylines heading into this NFL season. And even though we're not going to talk about the Dolphins in the entirety of this podcast, they will come up in this portion. The first thing we want to get to is the AFC East. 
And I feel like it, we've been a, a broken record for, I'd say, 15 years now, which is, is this finally the year that the Pats won't win the division? The Dolphins are responsible for the only time that the Dolphins have not, that the Patriots have not won the division since 2001, that being in 2008 when they won the division and made the playoffs. But Tom Brady was out. So basically every year that Tom Brady's been the starter, they've won the division. And yet we're starting to see finally after all these years, it started to kind of tear apart. But you would have said this midway through last season and then they went to the Super Bowl and maybe should have won it. So, CK, do you feel like there is at least some glimmer of hope that one of the three teams in the AFC East can take advantage of a Patriots team, of a, of a Tom Brady finally aging, of maybe some culture stuff finally breaking down after all these years? Is there any vulnerability in your mind? Uh, the, the Dolphins fan in me, of course, wants to say, you know, hell yes. But, uh, but of course, the realist takes over. And if you're a Dolphins fan, I think everybody has that ugly realist in them uh, that tells them, that you're never going to have anything nice. So, um, but yeah, I think right now, I you know the Patriots are going to have to show me that they're not going to the Super Bowl every year before I start to believe that the wheels are coming off there. Um, but I don't think I really don't think this is the year for them to fall apart. Um, I think it could have been if things played out a certain way, but they're just they're just not there. They're they're getting. They're not getting, I don't know about stronger, but they're, they're staying strong. They're still making investments that, um, that make sense and that, that are kind of uh, coming to maturity and helping them out. They just made it to the Super Bowl again. I mean, I start with the offensive line, and this is kind of a, a running theme with me that if you're asking me to evaluate these teams, we'll talk about some other teams maybe in a little bit. But, you know, I start there and say, okay, well, you don't have to have the guys that on paper – are the best, but are they at least playing really well? And um, and and what have you done? What have you done thematically to to kind of improve the line? And they improved it. I mean, they they got Isaiah Win, who you know Simon and I uh, certainly both thought that Isaiah was the best left tackle on the college landscape last year. I don't care what he measured out as far as his height is concerned. Uh, he's going to get a chance to play left tackle for the Patriots. Uh, under Dante Skarnacki, he was probably the best uh, offensive line coach in the league. Um, he's going to get a chance there. They also picked up Trent Brown, who, you know, is, is coach Shanahan. Um, Kyle Shanahan said that he's one of the best pass-protecting tackles in all of football. Now, Kyle Shanahan went and traded him to the Patriots, but that's because he's not a great system fit for what Kyle likes to do, how he likes to build his offense. Uh, but Von Miller also said the same thing about the guy. I mean, when Von Miller is saying, hey, this is one of the better tackles in the league, then you got to pay attention. So they got those two guys on the offensive line to replace Nate Solder. They still have Marcus Cannon, who was like an all-pro or very near it uh, in 2016. And they've got, um, you know, the two two more guys uh, at the guard spot, Joe Thune, who I really like, and, um, and Shaq Mason. Uh, at the right guard spot, who's, you know, just a, a stupendous run blocker and, and really coming on as a pass blocker. And David Andrews, experience center. I mean, it's it's set up well on the offensive line. And as long as that's set up well, then I'm not going to question too much else on the offense. You know, add Sony Michelle to the mix and add, you know, they, um, they got a nice tight end to back up Gronkowski and Jacob Hollister. I think that he's going to be a name that all of a sudden people start talking about as sort of like a Jack Doyle type. Um, 
it's it's going to work out well for them on offense. And then on the defensive line, seeing that they acquired Danny Shelton, who's a you know ridiculously strong, uh, physically strong player for the defensive line that is really good at what you ask him to do. And the Patriots have built up sort of the level of trust that's like, well, I know that they're going to ask him to do what he's good at doing because they've shown over the years that they do that. Um, and, and then you look at – they're going to get Dante Hype at Tower back. Well, they played almost the whole year last year without him. So it's like that defense plus Danny Shelton and Dante Hightower and Jason McCourty, who's another good corner who they can add that can do like what, what they asked Mal, Malcolm Butler to do. Uh, last year so it just all makes sense I think that they're probably still going to be really strong unfortunately for us Um, it's it's a team that's it's a team that stays on the cutting edge schematically and and they're doing all right personnel wise the thing that I hear and Alf Alf tried to ring you know he tried to sound the alarms and uh, and basically call our funeral on on our podcast uh, earlier this offseason and you know, people look at – they get caught up in the wide receivers unit or something like that, right? I mean, and this is the last thing that you should get caught up in uh, if you're looking at the strength of football teams. Uh, I don't, So I don't buy it when I see, oh, yeah, just because they lost this wide receiver or that wide receiver. You know, if they got an offensive line and Tom Brady and some running backs to run the ball, then they're going to make it work. Yeah, and that for me, it all comes down to Brady, doesn't it? Because he is – totally defying everything that we know about aging in sports, much less at the quarterback position. I just looked it up while while we were talking, and there have only been four quarterbacks in the history of the league that have thrown for over 3,000 yards after age 40. Vinny Vinny Testaverde for the Cowboys in in 2004. And this is the post-merger era, by the way. Uh, Warren Moon in 97 for the Seahawks, who for 3,678 yards. Brett Favre with the Vikings in 09. I think that was the year they went to the conference uh, championship game. And then Brady last year, 4,577 yards, 32 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, played all 16 games. And, I mean, you look at, you know, in terms of rating, in terms of some of the other statistics, one of the better years of his career at age 40. And so you have to prognosticate that at some point it's going to fall off. But I feel like with Brady and with LeBron in in different sports, they're kind of both at the same time making you sort of sit back and go, I'm not going to call for his downfall. I'm going to need to see it first. Yeah, absolutely. And and at least let's let's see some chinks in the armor first, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. let's start there. Let's start with, you know, maybe he doesn't play at an all pro level. Maybe he doesn't have a 32 to eight touchdown to interception ratio or throw for, you know, 4,600 yards with, uh, you know, eight, eight yards per attempt. Uh, let's, let's start with actually looking at him and saying, wow, you know, he didn't, he had a, a pretty good year, uh, but not, not a great year, you know, cause it was like that with Dan Marino uh, before, his last season in 1999, you know, there were, there were some chinks in the armor heading into that season. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, just all of a sudden he dropped off the face of the earth. Um, and, and with Tom Brady, it's like, well, we haven't started to see that decline yet. And so let's start there. I mean, if we're, we're going to start buying that, he's just going to go out there and self-destruct, then I, I want to see some signs of it. And uh, from a team standpoint, and here's the problem. They went out 2007, sorry, 2008, uh, and he played, you know, 11, he threw 11 balls and, and then went out for the rest of the year. They still went, you know, we talk about the Dolphins won the division, but the Patriots still went 11 and five. So 
Tom Brady does self-destruct, does go out, you know, what is the team that is left without him, still guided by Bill Belichick? And with the offensive line, you know, the way that I talked about and the defensive line being strengthened, Dante Hightower coming back, you know, the way they are innovative on defense with the their use of defensive backs, they're still going to give everybody a hell of a fight, including the Dolphins. And, you know, no matter who's in there, you're going to – you're they're probably going to win at least one game against the Dolphins anyway. So, you know, I don't buy it. I don't buy the funeral bill on um, on this one. Do you, so, in terms of the Dolphins sort of in their ability to maybe take advantage, I think I think you guys on three yards per carry are pretty positive on the Dolphins heading into the season. But I feel like thinking of them in the terms of could they take advantage if this fell apart? Now, again, I, I'm I'm certainly not expecting it to fall apart. But do you think that if the Patriots had an off year, that the Dolphins could get to nine or ten wins and and take and be in position to take advantage of that, or do you think that the rest of the schedule? would prohibit them from doing that? And and do you think that they have the chance to be a playoff team should that happen? I think that if the Patriots, if it really falls apart for the Patriots, and that's what you, I mean, you really have to pay attention to. Sure. Uh, if they're unable to rack up the wins, because that's what they're good at, even outside of the division, outside of the Dolphins game, the Dolphins tend to beat them. You know, it's not about that. They tend to beat them once a year. Um, but the Patriots will rack up the wins. If they if everything falls apart for them, then yes, absolutely. The Dolphins should be the favorite to win the division. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's our opinion. I mean, uh, on three yards per carry, I, it's my opinion. Uh, as Alf has, has talked about with some of our other, other co-hosts in the, uh, on the network, uh, privately, I tend to be the negative Nancy among the, uh, among the three of us. And, um, and this year, I'm not. You know, this year I think that uh, I think they're doing a lot of the right things, and so I think they are in in a good position to take advantage if uh, if everything does fall apart. And the reason why, you know, I go back to where I started with the Patriots. The first thing I look at, you know, what happened with the offensive line this year, and and strengthening that as a unit, strengthening your pass protection, making sure the quarterback can do his job. And uh, from there, I think a lot of other things are going to fall into place, like, you know, sort of like tumble, tumblers on a lock. And, um, and I think that that's, uh, that's why one of the big reasons why the Dolphins can be better this year and also one of the big reasons turn around a year ago and you're wondering why I'm optimistic on them this year. Well, look at a year ago, I was not as optimistic. And part of it was because – I was really questioning uh, their chops uh, on on the offensive line with their pass protection, and uh, and how they were setting it up, and this this narrative that they were running with that, you know, offensive guard doesn't count. It it it's not a it's not a position that you you can just toss some trash out there. It's fine. Um, which which never made sense to me. Before we carry on with our conversation with Chris Kaufman here on the Five Reasons Podcast, want to tell you that you can become a patron of the podcast. Here's how you do it. You go to our Twitter account, at Five Reasons Sports on Twitter. The link is right there, or if you want just a direct hyperlink, we either link to it in the podcast notes, or you can go to patron.podbean.com slash Five Reasons Sports. And here's what you get by virtue of subscribing at the $5 level 
for this podcast. Bonus content from us at the Five Reasons Sports and around the network. We've had Miami Heat B contribute a lot to it. Our Fantasy on Five podcast as well contributing some bonus content. All the podcasts in the network are contributing with extra content that you can pay a little bit extra for on the Patreon feed. You also get exclusive access to contests. And also we're trying to start a new way of developing podcasts here in the network, which is the Miami Creator Podcast. That's M-I-A-M-E. You get it? So basically, if you want to contribute something to our podcast feed and get people listening to it in South Florida, checking it out through our podcast, you can pay at the $5 level and get in contact with us while potentially having your podcast on our network. So check all that out. Again, patreon.podbean.com slash 5 Sports on Twitter at 5 Sports. The link is up there as well. You can also find the link in our show description. So check out our patron feed. Now let's get back to CK. Now let's move on to the next thing we wanted to cover here in our NFL kind of broader look here as we enter training camp and some of the storylines. So I feel like no one really saw the Jacksonville Jaguars coming last year. They end up going 10-6, and would make it all the way to the AFC Championship game. They had had a run of futility before that. They improved seven wins year over year, going from three wins in 2016 to 10 last season. So I feel like they're kind of the latest team. And well, who's going to have the turnaround that no one saw coming? The Los Angeles Rams are in that category too, particularly going from their particular kind of bad, where they went 4-12, and and they, I believe, scored, yeah, they scored they had the lowest point total in the league. They changed coach, and next thing they scored 478 points, which I think was the most in the league last year. So Rams, Jags, so one-year turnarounds. Who do you feel like is the is the most likely candidate for a team that maybe finishes in the bottom half of the league and ending up towards the top? Well, I, I and and we're missing one, aren't we? I mean the the Philadelphia Eagles. Sure. What were they? They were seven and nine uh, the mm-hmm. year before, and then they just won it all. They won, you know, they won the whole thing. Um, so I, I think that the next we're looking for the next Jaguars. It could be the next, even the next Eagles. You know, who knows? Um, but some some teams that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about this this question is first off, you have to look at the San Francisco 49ers and see what see and respect what they did when Jimmy Garoppolo came in in the last five games of the year. They won all five games. Uh, they won all five games with Jimmy at quarterback. And you look at what he did when he was with the Patriots and he came in in place of Tom Brady. Uh, you you got to respect it. Um, I'm not all about, you know, the whole QB wins thing, but but there's something about him. Uh, he, he does a really phenomenal job, and he's the perfect – evidently, he's the perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan and what he's trying to establish in his offense. And I also look at what they did in the offseason, and I like what they did thematically. And, and this is something that I talk about with the Dolphins, one of the reasons that I'm optimistic about them. You know, I look at are you are you executing on, on the things that you need to build your system and to structure your offense and your defense. Um, and Shanahan really did. I mean, he, he gave up some things to get – what he needs on offense and he gave up Daniel Kilgore and Trent Brown who are not bad players for the offensive line uh, but the fact of the matter is he builds his offense a certain way and the puzzle pieces have to fit together and so he goes for guys like you know Mike McGlinchey and Weston Richburg and um, and and so he's building that offense to play the way he needs to and, and to be you know to have the running game 
the way that he wants it. And so from there on defense, they, they actually had a, a defense that played pretty well. And they have some nice pieces there in the secondary um, and in the linebackers. It, it sounds like it looks to me, I'm, I'm not really up on this whole uh, drama, but it sounds to me like the Reuben Foster thing is going to mostly blow over um, mm-hmm. like he's going to play. So, you know, he's a big, he's a big uh, cog for them on defense. And then, you know, it's about the lines, you know, the, they've done good job adding pieces on the offensive line to, to work it how Shanahan wants to work it, but then turn around on the defensive line and they've got some really good and strong defensive line players that played, you know, really well last year. So uh, they, they win their last five games and it wasn't against, you know, puff opponents. I look at, sort of the the not the rams the chargers the chargers are have become the darling to some teams and they did finish the the season uh really really well i forget exactly what it was it was but it was something um it was something like nine and four or something something along those lines um and that but against really good opponents or against, you know, pretty, pretty decent opponents. It wasn't so easy. I think the the 49ers had, you know, more legitimate wins toward the end of the year when Jimmy Garoppolo came in and also a more legitimate excuse for suddenly starting to play well. I mean, they had the right quarterback. They didn't have CJ Beathard in there. Um, that's, you know, that, that's going to make a pretty big difference. That's why in Miami we're getting, you know, so geeked up about Ryan Tannehill coming back even though it's not – we all acknowledge that Ryan Tannehill's not elite or anything like that, but we saw what it is when you don't have a guy that can play in this league still, uh, you know, trying to trying to play quarterback for you. It, it looks pretty ugly at times. Yeah, and so – And all of a sudden it looks great. So I, I look at the 49ers. Yeah, so for me, the, the obvious candidates are teams that – are going to presumably get better injury luck, right? So if the Houston Texans have healthy Deshaun Watson from the jump, then I think they could go from 4-12 and 12 to the top of the conference relatively easily, particularly because of the division they're in. Same with the Colts and Andrew Luck. If he comes back and looks anything like himself, uh, then maybe they're sort of above 500 and, and going up from 4-12. and 12. The Giants as well. I feel like a, a lot of people have written the obituary for Eli Manning, and while mm-hmm. I, I've, I'm, I, it's funny you said, I've never really been the biggest fan, even when he was winning Super Bowls of Eli Manning, but right. I feel like everyone's saying that he's terrible now when the they were basically fielding like a D two high uh, a, a D two college receiving core for half the season, it's really harsh on him to say that that he stinks now because his three top targets were out injured. So if, if they get healthy, if if they get healthy, Odell Beckham back, like Odell Beckham was well on his way to reviving Eli Manning's career before he got hurt. So I, I would say the Giants can have a pretty quick resurgence as well. Um, in, in terms of things sort of outside of that realm, I would actually identify the Oakland Raiders as a candidate because I, I think that there's potential for obviously to make changes, but also for Derek Carr. I'm not sure he was entirely healthy last year. I'm not sure that Derek Carr, the one that we saw here in Miami, while the Raiders did come here and beat the Dolphins, like you saw the way that his balls floated to the sideline. It took forever for them to get there. It seemed like he didn't have enough zip on his throws and really wasn't playing the entire season healthy. So I think a healthier Derek Carr with maybe the Raiders looking more like who they were a year ago are some of the candidates. 
But actually, the team that it's not really a turnaround, and, and you mentioned them already because they were over 500, is the Los Angeles Chargers. I think the Los yeah. Angeles Chargers have potential to be really good next year. Uh, I, I looked it up while you were mentioning it. They went 9-3 and three down the final stretch of the season. They started 0-4, and, and you recall they had mm. a bunch of missed kicks, one, one yeah. against the Dolphins that led to their early sure. season losses. And then if you look at that stretch when they went 9-3, and three, their only losses were at New England, and then at Jacksonville, which a lot of people thought was kind of a disqualifying loss in overtime to the Jags. I think that was a game where like neither team wanted to win it, and they were turning the ball over a bunch in overtime. But you look at if you look back on it now, like a loss at Jacksonville, a team that made the AFC Championship game isn't that bad. And then a week 15, in a game they needed to win, they lost at the Chiefs by a lot. But they won all their other games, and I think the Chargers in some respects kind of become a punchline because they're playing in a soccer stadium in front of 25,000 fans, some of whom are supporting the away team. Like they have no buzz in Los Angeles, but just strictly as a football proposition, like while it's not really, it's it's not quite the Jack situation because you're going from the bottom of the conference. Uh, mm. I, I do think from nine and seven to that next step is a big step in the NFL. And I feel like they can make it. It's huge. It's hard. We have, we have more than enough experience as Dolphin fans uh, trying to go, you know, under Dave wants to take that next step from the nine and seven, ten and six type area to to being an actual, you know, good, respectable team. Uh, the I think you said one in the Giants that actually I was tempted to go with. Um, and again, I, I look at some of the some of the things that they're doing and the offensive line. Why I didn't ultimately go with them is because the offensive line is still just a little bit iffy. You know, trying to figure out whether they've got the pieces in place um, to to make that happen particularly like Eric Flowers, are they still trying to mess with him? Uh, is, is that going to work out? Um, and, but the Chargers, the argument that I would go against them is first off, you know, I, they were playing in that ridiculous stadium last year. And I almost wonder if after a little bit that sort of galvanized them as a team, um, you know, sort of like, you know, this, this, ridiculous, this ridiculous environment we're in, and we don't even have a home, a fan base that, that loves us really. Um, you know, the sort of nobody loves us except us thing. Um, so I, I wonder if that, that helped them last year and maybe it sort of wears off in, in the next year. But at the same time, I look at the, you know, look at the teams that they beat and they beat some pretty poor teams in there. Uh, you know, they beat the Giants when the Giants were obviously – ended up being one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, they beat the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos are not not very good. Dallas Cowboys were struggling by the time that they they played them. The Cleveland Browns and the, uh, the Washington Redskins were kind of struggling by that point. Jets at the end of the year. Um, the Raiders had their struggles. I mean, it's not – it reminds me a little bit of the, the the stretch of wins that you've seen in Miami in a couple of years where – where Miami ends up pretty good, but we beat all the bad teams and didn't beat the good ones. Um, you know, that's that that kind of is uh, reminiscent there, the Chargers. And and then I go back to the offensive line like a broken record here, and really I do not see solutions there. I, I think Mike Pouncey is, seems to be like the big solution to the offensive line problems because the tackle uh, position is still is still a mess. And um, and Mike Pouncey, what is he? I mean, he's not even going to practice for you. Uh, mm-hmm. They're gonna they're gonna keep him hermetically sealed during the <laughs> practice, and then unzip him for game day to, and hope that he makes it the whole game. And how many games is he going to do? Like eight, 
you know, 10, something like that. His, his hips are really bad. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't have a good outlook on, on what Pouncey's going to do for that offensive line. And otherwise, you know, you, you, do, you have to say you do like the pieces around the offense and the defense. But with that offensive line being in the state that it's in, I just can't trust it. And, and that's why I, I would go with some of the other teams. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Things that you named ahead of them. This is the Five Reason Sports Network. Sports by Miami for Miami on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on The Fish Tank when they interviewed Mike Pouncey. You know, every single day when I came to work, I was the best football player I could be. And I felt like I made guys better around me. And I love the organization. I mean, I, we didn't win as much as we should have. But I love being a Miami Dolphin. I, I love the fact that saying, hey, listen, I'm a Dolphin. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. And don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, so let's move on now to actually one of the teams that you mentioned there, uh, which is the Philadelphia Eagles in our in our part three here. So they win the Super Bowl last year. They beat the Patriots and did sort of pulled off the impossible, which I think a lot of people, myself included, wrote them off when Carson Wentz got hurt in that game at Los Angeles. They play Nick Foles throughout the rest of the regular season. It's basically the Matt Moore situation, isn't it? It's, it's basically if Ryan Tannehill got hurt and then Matt Moore took the Dolphins to winning the Super Bowl. I mean, Nick Foles and, and Matt Moore at that point last year are relatively comparable players as backup quarterbacks and now they get Carson Wentz back healthy they actually continue to add without really losing too much of their team so they they for me put together a solid offseason after already winning the Super Bowl with Carson Wentz coming back are they in a position to repeat because we don't see that very often we don't see that very often and sometimes I think that we have to school ourselves a little bit that when you see these Cinderella you know when you see these Cinderella runs um, they don't necessarily last. <laughs> you know, we've seen Cinderella runs, you know, go go straight through and burn through the Super Bowl, even ones that have beaten the Patriots uh, in the Super Bowl, and then and then they didn't necessarily last uh, f- to the next year uh, with the Giants. Um, and so I think that you have to look at that. And and w- here's the thing that I that I have a hard time trusting with the Phillips. First off, uh, if you have to stack up the teams in the league that are in the worst salary cap shape. 
um, in terms of sunk money, you know, money that's already sunk into players, you know, on the roster. And what I do is I, I often look at um, like scheduled, scheduled salary cap hits or scheduled uh, bonus, uh, bonus um, accounting accruals that have already been paid, like money that's already been paid to your guy but hasn't actually been expensed against a salary cap yet. And so you can stack that up for every team in the league. And, um, and, and Philadelphia is one of, if not the worst in the league right now, as far as, uh, as far as their salary cap. So at some point they're going to get burned here. And when a guy uh, or when a team is in that position, what you first start to look at is, okay, well, let me start to look at the age and the tread on the tires too. And and that's where I come up uh, with a few warning signs on the, on the um, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they're trusting some uh, some guys with age on them a, a little bit too much. Some guys on defense, uh, some guys in the in the middle of the offensive line, uh, and and so I, I wonder about I wonder about their ability to to go ahead and repeat that. They lose the speed of Michael Kendricks on at, in the linebackers unit. I'm not sure they really replaced it. Um, they got some, they got some really great years out of some players that probably aren't going to repeat that they fell into the Jay Ajayi trap the same way the Miami Dolphins did in 2017. Uh, and and it is a trap, you know, he, he ran pretty well for them and now they're, they're looking like they're going to try and base the offense around him like Miami did in 2017. And he is a player, I'm telling you, he is a player that will live to disappoint you. And um, and I think that that they could be falling into the trap that way in 2018. So now Carson Wentz is going to come back. That's obviously a huge boost to them. But they didn't miss him. I mean, Nick Foles came in and and played phenomenally well. And, and so I, I don't know. I don't I don't see it. I don't necessarily see it playing out the same way in in 2018 as it did 2017. I think that that division is going to be a little bit open. That's why I was looking at somebody like the Giants because remember the Giants, you know, just year before last, they were a good team, right? They were, it mm-hmm. wasn't last year. Clearly they were, they were poor, but, uh, and, and all the receiver you know, issues that you mentioned is absolutely spot on. Um, but year before that, they were, they were a pretty good team. They had a pretty good defense. They had a lot of uh, cogs on the defensive line. And, um, and in the secondary, they have Landon Collins. They have, uh, you know, Olivier Vernon and uh, two really strong defensive tackles. They, uh, on the offense, they have Evan. It's not just Odell Beckham. It's Evan Engram, too. Um, and, and so they have, they have pieces there. And, oh, by the way, add Saquon Barkley to the mix as a guy that – can break off big runs and score touchdowns and catch the ball like really, really well out of the backfield, which is a big trend. And I think we'll get to trends later, but, um, but that's a big trend in the league is backs that are catching the ball uh, out of the backfield and, and teams going to them more. And so, um, so, you know, do look out for the giants because they have some pieces there. I, I just, I don't like some of the traps that I think Philadelphia is falling into. Yeah, I, I, to to me the 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 counter to that is they bring a lot of the same team back. Now you can say that maybe they're getting older and maybe they got lucky with some of the years they got out of them. But and then th- they sort of added in some pretty nice places. So adding Michael Bennett from the Seahawks for me was a really good signing. Adding Mike Wallace, who obviously we had our experience with down here in Miami, but was really one of the few professional offensive players at the Baltimore Ravens had last year. What was a, a fairly disastrous offensive year for them, uh, and and just sort of. 
for me, the fact that they were a year ahead of schedule last year, I mm. feel like they were sort of on the right track, and then all of a sudden they ascend all the way to the Super Bowl. And if Carson Wentz comes back healthy and like the player that we saw last year, like we didn't see that in the playoffs. And while Nick Foles had an incredible Super Bowl, it was a little bit more methodical in getting there. And so I feel like Carson Wentz can almost single-handedly kind of stave off what it was was going to be a drop off for the Eagles. Maybe they were probably a year too early in having this amount of success, but they win the Super Bowl, and it's not like I, I don't think there's as much potential for it to be stale, given the fact that the quarterback for the team that won it is going to be different. Yeah, I mean, I I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, Michael Bennett, you're talking about a, a guy who's what 33 years old, and mm-hmm. and Mike Wallace, I, Mike Wallace isn't he isn't he replacing Torrey Smith? And and if I have to. If I have to look at one versus the other, you know, I'm 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 going to go with Torrey Smith probably. Um, I, I think that I don't know. I, I I see I see what you're saying. They mo- they mostly keep the the team intact, but I, I think they're trusting age a little bit too much, and mm-hmm. um, and it can be uncertain in this you know injury filled league, uh, and and so. It would have to be Carson Wentz. It would, and not just Carson Wentz, but obviously the coaching staff. And you know how is that coaching staff? I mean, what they showed was really some uh, tremendous engineering in order to get that Super Bowl. And that's that to me is the X factor. If these guys, if these guys on the coaching staff are for real, you know they're they're they have the chops that you know you're looking at a Bill Belichick and his staff have, or um, Andy Reid and his staff in, in Kansas City. Um, then that's the X factor. Then that really will keep them up. But otherwise, I, I see. I just see too much risk, and the NFL season is too long. In the latest three yards of carry, July 18th, the rookies report. July 25th, the vets report. You're, you're, well, thank God, thank God that this is coming up soon because it was getting weird around here uh, during the during the taint of the off season. We're you know in between in between the last mini camp and the training camp i mean that is, that is the worst time yeah like what was best is like and we love our listeners but one listener after our last podcast just sent us i guess you would call it a review and it all said what tf was that <laughs> listen to us every thursday morning as football has returned to the five reasons sports network Let's move on to the next thing we wanted to get to. So one of the major kind of storylines of the offseason was the amount of teams that change quarterback. And you had a couple of teams that were successful, including the Minnesota Vikings uh, change quarterback, the Buffalo Bills, who after making the playoffs, they changed their quarterback, the Chiefs as well, moving from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. So you had a few teams that were towards the top of the league decide to make a change at quarterback when that's generally not one teams do. So in terms of Sam Bradford going to Arizona, in terms of the draft picks going around the league, CK, which quarterback change do you feel like will actually make the most positive impact if we're just talking in terms of you know pure impact then i think the quarterback change and do you really consider it a change and and again i'm, I'm gonna sound like i'm talking my own book here but uh but miami dolphins getting right down hell back is going to be a huge impact for that mm-hmm. team uh we're talking about going from jay cutler and matt moore and all the passes that we saw sailing and all the impatience and poor timing and, and uh, poor blitz recognition and things like that that was happening with those two 
to getting Ryan Tannehill back the way he was playing in Adam Gase's offense uh, for the back, you know, in the back half of the year, that's going to be a huge impact for the Miami Dolphins. But otherwise, if I'm looking elsewhere at all these other quarterbacks, it almost seems like the Minnesota quarterback change is too good to be true. <laughs> you know, I mean, because that was, that was such a good team, right? Uh, all the way through. And now all of a sudden you got, okay, let's just throw Kirk Cousins in there instead of, instead of Case Keenum and, um, and, and those guys. I, I think Kirk Cousins is a stronger player. And now all of a sudden he's going to be throwing the football to, you know, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and Kyle Rudolph. I mean, those, it's, it almost seems like too good to be true to be looking at that team. So, I mean, that's going to be impact. I mean, they were, they were already so good. Uh, so, so what's the impact, but it's going to, it's going to be really good in Minnesota. Um, the quarterback change that might have the most impact. Otherwise I was trying to look through it. I mean, it, do we, do we count Jimmy Garoppolo? Cause he did play five games last year. I don't know. Um, but otherwise, if we're looking at them, the the changes, I was gonna have to say either Miami or um, the the Patrick Mahomes uh, switch in Kansas City. And I know that this might, I mean, people might be confused by what I mean. Is, is this might actually change them for the worse too? Really? Um, it might it might be the most it might be the high the most impactful in that you know. Uh, it, it gets some people fired. I, I love Patrick Mahomes, but um, but it's it's risky. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you go from a really you go from a really established system, a well established system, with a with a really well established quarterback within that system, to a guy who is in in Patrick Mahomes, who is complete almost completely unstructured in college, um, and and that's. And and that's where I'm like, oh boy, I, I hope you know what you, I hope you know what you're doing here. Um, but I trust, I do trust, tend to trust the offensive minds in charge in Kansas City. Uh, but man, it, it could be, uh, it could be, it could be a wild ride. Uh, but I think Miami's quarterback change is mm-hmm. going to be incredibly impactful. Ryan Tannehill uh, coming in for Jay Cutler. And I don't think they should be discounted um, just because, you know, Tannehill was already there and it's, it's really a comeback from injury. Um, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, and, and sort of in, in that kind of vein, I think that Cleveland can be in this conversation too just because it's such an upgrade from even Tyrod Taylor over Deshaun Kaiser and and uh, okay. Cody Kessler and all the guys that they were starting like I, I think even if if Baker Mayfield is really good then even better but if they just stick with Tyrod for a large chunk of the year like that's going to represent such an upgrade that I think they could end up being like a five or six win team which for them it's hallelujah oh my god what an upgrade over what we've had <laughs> the last few years but in terms of the big ones um, I, I was I was going to say Kansas City is my most positive one. I think if you're Andy Reid, who's generally been reticent to move from Donovan McNabb to move from Alex Smith, like mm. you don't make that change unless you see him practice every day. Oh no, we we can't stop this dude from playing. Like even considering that they lost a, a, a big lead in a playoff game very recently, and that was kind of the last impression of the season. Like, I think even if that game goes well, I think even if they get, like, you know, maybe win that game and then get to the second round and lose, 
I still think they mm. make this change because Andy Reid is that confident in this quarterback. And yeah, there are concerns. And it's, for me, most reminiscent to Aaron Rodgers over Brett Favre. Now, Brett Favre, in terms of yeah. in Green Bay, was a much bigger, it's a much bigger deal to make that move. But it's still a risk, right? You have a known commodity versus an unknown commodity. And you're also you also have a measure of success when you're making the change. So I, I do think it's a risk, but I don't I, I believe in Andy Reid so much that I don't think he would make this change unless he pretty well knew that it was going to work. I think that's a that's a great point. And listen, you don't have to you don't have to twist my arm very very far or, or, or start uh, start getting into it very much before you get my blood pumping about a guy like Patrick Mahomes because I was a huge huge fan of his coming out I'm, I'm approaching this I, I have to put on my you know I have to put on my asset management hat and and think of this from a risk standpoint and um and that's that's where I that's where I come out from and I say okay you had this really established uh offensive system under Andy Reid with a with a quarterback who gets it and you know completely gets it and now you're going with a quarterback who is I mean this guy's you know he's a wild stallion uh and he's in college, he was completely unstructured. In the NFL, when he did play, he he made some incredible throws, but also, you know, still had that look to him of of being unstructured. It could be exactly like you say. It could be it could be Aaron Rodgers over Brett Favre all over again. Um, but it, it's it it also could go it also could go really awry really fast. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to say. It's it's total wild card to me. Yeah, and, and sort of like as Dolphins fans, we're like, well, hang on a second. You have a quarterback that gets you to the playoffs every year, and 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 it's it's part of a really good team, and you're going to go away from him. I I don't understand what you're doing, but I kind of understand <laughs> the risk in that kind of not that they were mired in mediocrity, but they're kind of mired in the place that the Dolphins were in the early 2000s. I think that those early years kind of get lumped in with these last ten, which have really been not even making the playoffs, but like those Wanstead years where they're making the playoffs every year, they just didn't do anything once they got there because Jay Fiedler wasn't good enough or whoever they had at quarterback wasn't good enough and they were constantly looking for that guy that just represented an upgrade so maybe that's what they're chasing is being a little bit better than good enough to make the playoffs but not good enough to do anything when you're there or actually go and win the Super Bowl like I understand the risk but I also understand where you're coming from which is you have an own commodity that gets to the playoffs every year maybe you're being a bit ungrateful and you're not kind of respecting that maybe at some point you'll get those bounces but I I, I do think think that the quarterback movement and particularly the rookies that'll be starting this year will be will be really interesting in the end the last thing I want to get to uh, with you CK and you kind of mentioned earlier with running backs coming out of the backfield you study football from a totally different perspective from me which is you know I watch the games and I'm trying to follow the league but you like to dig deeper so in terms of some of the schematic things you've seen some of the things in team building that you've seen across the league what would you say represents a league-wide trend that we're going to see more of going into this season I'm going to go I'm going to go with our friend uh our friend the Patriots here uh again and it's not because we we like to kiss the rings it's just that uh it's it's that they're just they're good at what they do and they're good at coming up with innovative ways to win and to leverage uh, leverage different situations and strengths and weaknesses situational football is getting I, I don't want to say out of control but it's it's starting to uh, it's starting to really take off in terms of understanding from a defensive standpoint first off understand that defenses took a huge step up last year uh, versus offenses. Offenses have been on a tear. 
for the last decade, right? I mean, they have been getting better and better and scoring more points and getting more yards and, um, and we've been seeing more and more offensive efficiency, except for last year, defenses just punched them in the mouth. And I think that uh, part of it was defensive line play, uh, taking advantage of poor, you know, poor guards out there in the league and poor linemen out there in the league. But part of it was the, the willingness of defensive coordinators to get really situational in their personnel. And, and what they did and sort of, you know, we, we hear about, you know, how corners are supposed to use the sidelines as sort of, you know, sort of a 12th, 12th man on defense, right? Well, defensive coordinators are using situations as a 12th man on defense because they know that as an offense, you need to accomplish a certain thing in a certain situation uh, on a certain down and distance, a certain point in the game, certain score on the scoreboard. They're getting better with the analytics and the analysis um, of understanding all this stuff and incorporating it into the, the coaching philosophies. And so what you're seeing on defense for the Patriots are, are sort of front center of this. And I cite them all the time because they were using seven defensive backs on defense a year ago. You know, I talk about and, you know, I I get on here and I bitch about dime defense and how the Miami Dolphins never use it. They never put six defensive backs on the field. The Patriots are putting seven on the field, uh, about one out of six snaps. And they were doing it on snaps when, you know, they knew that the offense are going to have to pass. And it was a phenomenally successful uh, idea for them. They had they had tremendous success uh, defending defending the pass, you know, uh, on on those uh, seven defensive back, essentially, I don't even know what to call it. It's not dime; is a prevent. Um, it, but they were. <laughs> I, I, in, I, I know it in Madden as quarters. I don't know if that's actually yeah. like, correct. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know what to call it. But there's. But there's <laughs> seven defensive backs on the field. There's uh, you know all kinds of safeties. And what they're finding out is is that listen, if 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 it's third and seven, I'm going to put seven defensive backs on the field, and I'm going to get all that speed out there, and go ahead and run the ball if you think you're going to get seven yards. But um, I don't think you're going to get seven yards uh, because safeties are now doing, you know, a lot of what a linebacker can do because they're explosive and fast and very physical. And so they're getting more speed on, out on the field. They're getting more coverage chops out on the field. The Patriots had more coverage snaps from defensive backs last year than any other team in the NFL. Um, and, and so they're, you know, this is, this is their innovation. They're using more defensive backs and they're using it situationally really well in positions where they know that you can't burn them for it. And so I think that that's going to start to get a little more, um, a little more popular out there in the league since it is a kind of a copycat league. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see the trends that kind of work off of that trend because, you know, one trend that we don't see, people talk about four wide receiver sets and they often talk about three and four wide receiver sets as if they go together, but one exists and one doesn't. Um, three wide receiver sets exist. Four wide receiver sets, for the most part, really don't exist in the NFL. Teams don't use four wide receiver, actual four real wide receivers uh, on a play uh, very often. And one team that has consistently done so over the years was the Arizona Cardinals um, under Bruce Arians. And I almost wonder if, if, if this starts to get more popular on the defensive side, like, hey, we know – your backs are against the wall situationally. So we're going to get more defensive backs out here. Um, then the offense may turn around and say, well, 
yeah, you're right. We, we still can't necessarily run the ball, but I'll tell you what we damn well can do. Maybe we can put more wide receivers on the field to try and burn your defensive backs instead of trying to have, you know, tight ends and running backs burn your, burn your defensive backs. Um, so, so maybe there, there can be a little bit of, you know, tit for tat that way. Uh, but otherwise, a lot of the same trends that you're seeing on, on offense with running backs catching the ball more, being used as mismatches, you know, that's that sort of thing. You will continue to see that. But I think the innovations right now are kind of coming on defense. They kind of swung in the other, other direction. And the defenses in 2018 really, really, really hit the offenses in the mouth um, in a very significant way. And I, I'm, I'll be looking to see if that continues. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I feel like there is such a desire for offenses to improve because obviously more points leads to more scoring, leads to a perceived level of more entertainment now. I, I have, I've kind of come around, not that I find defense entertaining, but that there's this kind of thought that if there are more points on the board, then that means that the game was better. Like you have to watch the game to really sort of mm. enter, to, to analyze this entertainment value. But yeah, I, I feel like there was kind of a groundswell last year that maybe games weren't as entertaining last year. And it's entirely possible that, I mean, it was it was eventually at some point, even with the interference rules changing, even with illegal contact and all this, that eventually teams are going to figure out the passing game and figure out ways to negate the short yardage passing that a lot of teams go for accuracy and try and figure out ways to turn it against them. And I feel like one of the ways that it's kind of borne itself out is you, if you're if everyone's trying to go for completion percentage, everyone's trying to kind of make it easier to move down the field. Then maybe defenses are now saying, okay, well you have to be perfect on you know 13 play drives to get all the way down the field, and that sort of shows a reduction in scoring. So obviously you kind of study it from a much deeper way, but from sort of a more kind of less detailed a, a less detailed point of view, I would say that there's just been a significant drop off in long, deep plays. And I feel like it was always going to be a natural adjustment to the way that the league was heading, that it was this pass heavy league that eventually defenses were going to figure it out. I think, I think to your point, and I think that you are, you are getting uh, hitting the nail on the head um, in this way, in that when you stick more defensive backs on the field and you stick more speed on the field, uh, speed and defensive backs on the field limit big plays. Because they can they can chase down players and you know squeeze them against the sidelines and so when you thought that you were going to turn a corner and get a big play, you know all of a sudden you're getting uh, you're getting pushed out of bounds or something along those lines. I, so speed, I mean, this was we've we've talked about and go deep in Miami's past with a safety like Chris Clemens and and he used to be um, he used to be picked on by Dolphins fans a lot. But one thing that he had going for him was speed. And because of his speed, he was a big play limiter, uh, especially in the run game, uh, because, you know, he could chase you down and he could make sure he can make sure that, you know, yeah, you, you broke into the secondary, but that's about as far as you went. And when you're sticking more defensive backs on the field, especially situationally, then you're saying then you're really limiting those big plays and you're also I mean if it happens to be third down as, as for instance and you're also getting the getting the other side off the field so I think that I think that's the innovation that's the way it's gone it'll, it'll be interesting to see if um, if offenses have some sort of answer for it this year 
to get back onto the track that they were because they were improving just tremendously over the last decade in terms of the points scored and the um, and the efficiency. I mean, it was just going up and up and up as the college game, uh, as the principles from the college game started to really uh, uh, take root in the NFL. Um, but then, but man, did it take a step back with last year? So it'll be interesting to see if that you know snaps back and offenses have an answer or if or if defenses kind of figure it out a little bit more all right chris kaufman really appreciate his time at ck parrot on twitter again check out three yards per carry which is our dolphins podcast here on the five reasons sports network with alfredo at uptown report on twitter and simon clancy at si clancy on twitter as well they do a terrific dolphins podcast that's going to be really ramping up ahead of this season so check him out there and we always appreciate his insight when he joins us here on the podcast his second time and uh, ck really appreciate it hey thanks a lot for having me it's always a pleasure chris 